All right. Thank you to Modest Mouse for that wonderful intro. We are coming to you just before championship Saturday starts here for college football um, at for at odds. I'm Adam. Uh, Jared, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Ready for an exciting week of some college football here. Yeah, I would say so. I know that I know that I am. I'm pumped up. I've got some exciting picks I think I've got a few that are just going to be mind blowers to go over I want to thank everybody for getting in and listening hopefully you can get some of the bets in hopefully you can listen to us before some of these championship games start again we're coming at you a little bit later in the week than we normally do I apologize I've been under the weather Um, apologies to you as well Jared but either way we're here to make some money Um, so I guess we'll talk about the money that we made last week first so I'll go over my my week and I think it's pretty appropriate to be playing this song for me because I am getting hot in here, baby. If we go through my last week, I uh, was four or five, actually. The only one I missed on was Texas A&M, believe it or not, one that I was pretty comfortable on, the 17-point spread. They just didn't show up in that game at all. Um, But my other ones have just... They hit perfectly, really. Oklahoma to cover 13 and a half and the under. I'm loving those parlays um, to do uh, to have one team cover and do the over under. I've been very hot on those. You're going to see this week I'm continuing that trend. I had San Francisco to cover six. Never really in doubt for me um, because that game was just a real bloodbath, real close game with Baltimore. Cincinnati I had covering the spread there. I wanted to take them straight up, but, you know, covering the spread. It was good enough. I got the winnings either way. And then I had the Texans um, as an underdog at plus 155. So really, like I said, I hit pretty hard on last week. Um, I hit four or five bets. Um, I had a total winnings of 46.24 on a total bet of 39 and a half. Um, so really I'm positive. I'm up to almost 260 units. I came into last week at 223. So I'm just bumping up. I'm, I'm basically walking into next week at 260, 259.54. So I'm looking to keep hot on this championship Saturday here, Jared. What, how, how was your week last week? Uh, it's a little rough. So I'm back in the red after last week. Um, I actually went one of five. Luckily I did hit on OSU with my most confident game. That was a pretty easy walk in the park. Never was really scared. Um, Illinois, I just kind of took that on a whim. Probably should have stayed away. The one that kind of upsets me a little bit is the Minnesota money line. Uh, I fell for something that I always do, and I always say to look, is you got to look at the weather. Uh, Minnesota's a, a passing team, and Wisconsin's a defensive running team. Had I known that was going to be a snowstorm, I would have stayed away from that game. You look at the very beginning, I know it's only a couple plays, but Minnesota opened that game up like a monster throw it all over Minnesota and the, or Wisconsin. And then all of a sudden it, it turned into that blizzard and Minnesota, it's hard to throw the ball in a blizzard. That game played right into Wisconsin's hands after the first 10 minutes. Um, Jets Packers just kind of missed on the Jets there. And then my teaser hit two of the three teams. Like I've said to Adam in the past that Ryan Fitzpatrick, I fell for it. I got Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's all there is to say about it. They you got Fitzmagic. Yeah. I mean, correct. the Eagles Fitz were magic. like an, what, like an 11-point favorite that week or 10-and-a-half, and, and Fitzmagic goes off for like 40-something points or high 30s. He hasn't done that all year. He was throwing beautiful passes up, making Devontae Parker look good. Everybody's saying Devontae Parker's back. I think it was Fitzpatrick just put the balls right on the bunny. All Parker had to do was go straight up in the air and grab him. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I was a, a player or two away from that hitting correctly and probably being back in the green, but that's why we move on and keep going. So, That's why we got this week for us. 
that's why we got this week. So to get us started, I'm going right back to the well that's kind of kept me alive in this, and that's the uh, fighting sports. I'll start with boxing. I'll make this one really quick. Uh, it's Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua rematch. I'm sure a lot of people know who they are just because it was a major upset, I don't know, six months ago or so. Ruiz is the um, largely overweight Hispanic guy who is about six feet tall, and he's weighing in around 280 pounds, fighting Anthony Joshua, who is just like your movie star freak athlete that you see just absolutely shredded from the feet all the way to his neck. He's just like a physical specimen. I'm not actually betting on the fight here, though. I'm betting on the over again, like I did with the last boxing. Over of seven rounds. And the reason is, people that watched last fight saw Andy Ruiz knock out Anthony Joshua. Ruiz is not known as a knockout artist. He just caught him really good. There were rumors that Joshua was knocked out really badly in camp, so I think that might have affected him. But supposedly he had an anxiety attack going into the fight, so that affected him. His dad was actually saying he shouldn't go out there, but the trainers pushed him out there. So I think it's going to be a different kind of fight. I don't think Ruiz is going to knock him out. That's Like I said, that's not his style of fighting. He's more of a uh, where you, he is an excellent boxer, but he's not a power knockout guy. If you look at his record, he did knock a lot of people out in the beginning, but that happens when you're an elite boxer and you're fighting nobody, you're going to knock him out. If you look in his last 15, 20 fights where he's fighting real competition, not that many knockouts, especially fighting at a top-level guy like Joshua. On the flip side of that, Joshua is – he's the better boxer here. He's a longer guy, much bigger reach. He knows that if he stands around the outside and just throws jabs and picks him apart, Ruiz can't get to him. The only way Joshua loses his fight is if he gets in the middle and lets the short guy with the short reach get those short body shots and catch him with a, a nice uppercut or who knows what. But I think Joshua's going to fight a lot more conservative because he knows he's only going to lose if he gets caught. I expect probably a boring fight for the first few rounds. Maybe somebody ends up getting a KO. Or I would I would almost look at taking the fight to go the distance and get some positive money, but play it a little bit safer here. Like I said, take the, take the over seven rounds. Nobody wants to risk it. Title shots. They probably won't really do anything for the first four or five rounds. So, again, you're looking at two rounds of true fighting and hoping you can get through that. I feel pretty comfortable with this one. Uh, the odds aren't the best. It's a minus 150, so I have 10 for 670, 667. But... I'm very comfortable with the pick, though. I just wish the odds were a little bit better. Yeah, I like that. Um, the last time you hit on the over rounds, I, I think those are pretty safe bets because, like you said, most people aren't going to come into a fight preparing for it to only last a couple rounds. You know, they take a few rounds to feel each other out before the like the real fighting actually starts. Again, I'm not a big combat sports guy. I like to watch it. I think it's fun, but I don't follow it as well as you do. Uh, so I'll follow you. I'll tail you on that bet. Only thing is I think when you were talking about the guy that was chiseled from like the ankles to the neck, I mean, that's, I mean, you're basically describing me and I don't think that I would necessarily win in a fight. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. What would you say? Like, like you said on the last one, it's a title fight though. Nobody wants to train four months for a title fight and lose in the first six minutes. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to play it safe for at least three to four rounds. So now the fight's really starting in the fifth round. You're hoping you make it two to three, three-minute rounds without a knockout. I think it's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, at least for boxing, UFC too, in order to you know KO them in the first round or round and a half, UFC is a little different, but especially for boxing, it almost takes a, like a, a pretty lucky shot. So yeah. betting, betting on it to go more than seven rounds is you're just essentially saying nobody's going to get really lucky in like the per, first four or five rounds, which... I think yeah. it's a pretty solid bet. The minus 150 isn't great return, but I mean, that's Vegas saying that this is a pretty probable bet. So, 
Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. I, I like that. I like the last over rounds that you had on the last box, and I think both of those are, are pretty smart. So I'm going to take us I'm now back, back, for, uh, back in the green time. I'm going to take us back to our uh, to my ice roots here. I've been taking a hockey vet about every other week, and it's been a little bit of a risk. Um, I've taken some underdogs. I've taken some parlays. I actually haven't hit a hockey bet I'm looking back since our first week, um, but that was a plus 230 bet. So on all in all, I'm dead even on hockey almost. Um, I'm going to get it up right now, though. I'm taking the Penguins to cover minus 1.5, so basically to win by two goals against the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and this is at home for the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. D- Detroit's going on the road to – oh, no, I'm sorry. Detroit's hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. But either way – I don't think this is much of a shot, long shot at all. You're getting plus 125. I've got seven units to return 875. So you're literally looking at positive money. And I'm going to keep this quick because this only requires one side of analysis. Look at how the Red Wings have been playing hockey for the whole season, but specifically like the past 10 games. This is disgusting. I'm going to go back to... About a month ago, November 14th, when they played the Los Angeles Kings, just listen to all their games since then. A 3-2 overtime loss, 4-3 shootout loss, 4-3 loss, 5-4 loss, 5-1 loss, 2-0 loss, 6-0 loss, 6-1 loss, 5-2 loss, 4-1 loss. You literally heard all of that right. That is, that's insane to me. They've rattled off one two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten straight losses. And their last eight, sorry, their last seven have been by, by more than two goals. Over their past six games, they've scored four goals. They've scored four goals in six games. This is abysmally bad. Jared, you and I had this argument actually with um, our friends about whether or not the Red Wings should hire Jeff Blatt or fire Jeff Blaschel. I think that Iserman is literally holding on to them so that they can tank the rest of the season and it's not on their new coach's resume that they had a terrible start to their career. Because Blaschel... He's a fall think, guy. Exactly. Think about Blaschel. We moved on from Mike Babcock, who probably could have gotten almost any head coaching job he wanted at the time. He's one of the most highly sought-after coaches in the NHL at the time. Now, not so much because you know a little bit has came out about his coaching techniques, whatever. Blaschel was not one of the most sought-after coaches. He probably could have only gotten a few coaching jobs at the time. Babcock went to the Maple Leafs. Blaschel went to the Red Wings. The Maple Leafs have been better than the Red Wings. Babcock was fired. Blaschel's still here. Explain that to me. Hot coaching candidate goes to a better team, has a better record, gets fired. Worst coaching candidate goes to a worse team, has a worse record, doesn't get fired. Blaschel's out the door. Eisenman, I think, knows this. He's just waiting, like you said, as a fall guy. I truly don't think the Red Wings are playing at all inspired hockey. They're tanking. Like I said, four goals in six games. That's embarrassing to take the – I think Pittsburgh, it should be almost like a favorite for them to win by one and a half at this rate because the Pittsburgh Penguins are a good team. You know, they're a quality opponent, 16-9-4. and It's not like they're a slum uh, coming in to Detroit. I think they're going to walk all over the Red Wings. The Red Wings will take – it will take – a lucky game for them to just keep it close. So again, seven units on that 8.75 is a return. I love it. So I got to agree. I'll, I'll be quick on it, but a couple things. First off, I was thinking earlier in the year, I might bet on every single team to beat the Red Wings by more than a goal and a half. And 
You'd be a million. See what happens, and you'd probably be making a lot of money. Like you said, they get lucky games. It, this is, I mean, the way betting works is you can't assume every single game just because something happens. That's the way it goes. But over a long trend, they're losing almost every single game by at least two goals, if not three or four. Um, the other thing you got to think about with hockey, you're down a goal. A lot of times, the team pulls the goalie, so a lot of times, a close game ends up as a two goal, a two goal spread. Um, I mean, Kelly, but you're, that, saying, you're giving the Red Wings a lot of credit there for saying they're going to keep it within one goal. Oh yeah. That's, I'd be impressed if they keep it within one goal. And even if they do keep it within one, in one goal, you still have the backdoor cover with an empty net goal the whole time. Um, the one thing I will say, too, that you were saying, I think this, the team is just – I think the players almost don't even care anymore. They're just waiting for the new new wave to come in. I think Blashill is the problem. I don't think he's a terrible coach. But one thing I was pointing out, like you were saying when we were arguing with people, one way I think you can really measure how good of a coach is – how good a good coach is versus a bad coach. I mean, everybody in the NHL is an NHL player. A great coach, even with a bad team, is going to get some wins. Now, obviously, that, you get better players, you're going to get more wins. But you look my, at penalty kill and power play. Those are special teams that are purely like strategically driven. These are NHL-level players. If you have an extra guy on the ice, you should be dominating the other team, no matter who's on your team. And the Red Wings, besides the first year that Blashville took over, have been in the bottom of the league for penalty uh, or power play and penalty kill, which to me shows he's just not setting the guys up in the proper positioning the correct scheming to take advantage of situations like this i think that's a very clear indicator that he is not some elite coach oh yeah and last thing i'll say on it and i feel like and this is for all coaching not just the red wings in the nhl the burden of proof should be on the head coach to prove that they deserve to maintain that coaching position it shouldn't be on the people or the fans or the media to convince other people that they deserve the head coaching spot like that's how i feel with almost every Detroit manager coach, you know, Osmus was obviously relieved of his duties, but Osmus, Blaschel, Matt Patricia, like these guys that we have in Detroit and other places as well. I'm not, you know, a team that I don't really root for that much. Obviously the Michigan Wolverines, I'm pretty anti-Wolverine, but it's the same thing. Everyone's trying to convince themselves that their coach Harbaugh, Blaschel is the answer. When in reality, the burden should be on the coach after three, four, five years, you should be able to point to specific examples as to why you need to keep that coach. And for a lot of the coaches in Southeast Michigan and not just in Southeast Michigan, all over the country, Jared, you're in Dallas, Jason Garrett, is the epitome of the example is you need to, as a coach, the burden of proof is on you. You have to prove after maybe not one year, maybe not even two years, but if you've been on the job for three, four, five years, you, the burden of proof has to be on you to show the world you're a capable head coach. If it's not, you shouldn't as a fan or as a media member, whatever, be trying to figure out why they should stay. They haven't shown that they should stay, so they shouldn't stay. It's just how it works, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people get that twisted, like, well, what has this guy really done wrong to get fired? That's not a coach. There's 32 coaches per league, pretty much. They're the most sought-after positions in the entire country. You shouldn't have to convince yourself to keep a guy. They should convince you to keep that. So, little little rant there, but you can move (laughs) on to your next UFC. I, I definitely agree. I, one last 30-second point, too. Is it, it'd be different if you were making strides in the right direction, and you could argue they just don't have the players to be a championship team, but the Red Wings have just gotten worse every year. Yeah. You shouldn't need five years to start a turnaround. Now, if yeah. they were a fringe playoff team and they just couldn't get over the hump, that's different. That's, you need to get another star player to push you over the hump, but they're just a, a dumpster. But anyways, now that we got that out of our system. I feel uh, a lot better. It's like, it's like throwing up when you're sick. 
Yeah, exactly. You had to regurgitate that nastiness. Um, staying in the UFC, so I, I'm probably going to butcher the guy's name. It's not because I don't know him. It's uh, just very hard pronunciation. Jarzino Rosenstruck. I think it's Rosenstruck. Um, he is a UFC up-and-coming UFC heavyweight fighter fighting Alistair Overeem uh, later tonight. Uh, the reason I really like this fight is I usually talk about stylistically things aren't quite as important as people think, but it is still a huge factor. Um, the reason stylistically I like this matchup is he's fighting Alistair Overeem, who is also a big, they're both big stand-up striking type fighters. And I don't know if people know who Francis Ngannou is, but he's one of those monsters who like knocked Francis, their, uh, Alistair Overeem's head off like three years ago, if you look at the replay. So what it comes to is Alistair Overeem is kind of one of those guys who's aging, um, getting toward the end of his career. He's 39 years old. He's had some brutal knockouts. I mean, I hate to want a guy to get knocked out, especially with all the stuff we know about head injuries, but it's the fact of nature is it happens. And the more you get knocked out, the more susceptible you are to get knocked out. And he has been brutally knocked out a few times in the last few years. Now, I'm not to say he's declining. He's won some decent fights recently, but he's beating guys that are uh, – not the greatest fighters and he's losing to all the guys if you look at his recent record i mean he's beating guys that are also at the end of their career or journeymen in the ufc but any guy that's actually like a true threat in the ufc is is not walking through him but they're beating him he's got a very soft chin <clears throat> so if you go back over to the uh rosen streak he's 9-0 in the ufc he is a phenom on his feet i was actually make fun of me if you want watching highlights of him yesterday when i was bored and kickboxing before he was in the ufc and he almost reminds me of like an anderson silva i mean this guy just stalks people down and is a monster on his hands he has what a lot of people will call the touch of death where he just there's something about his hands the way he hits you you fall kind of like a conor mcgregor but much bigger he doesn't seem to hit anybody any harder than anyone else does but there's something about his hand that when you get hit you just drop and that's what I've seen. I mean, he's been starching people. He fought Andre Ablowski, same same kind of scenario as uh, uh, Alistair Overeem, kind of an aging guy in the UFC. 29-second knockout. Hit him with, like, one punch. The fight before that, Alan Crowder, he beat in nine seconds, first punch. One before that, TKO'd a guy with a head kick. Before that, KO. Then he had the decision, TKO, KO, KO, KO. I mean, he's literally just touching people and they're falling. I think he is set up perfectly with a guy with a very soft chin, I think in the UFC, again, I've said this before, I think they like to try to hype new fighters up. And I think they see this guy as a potential cash cow for a few years. He's, he's only 31, so he's probably got a few years in his prime still. What better way to catapult him to stardom than having him fight somebody like Alistair Overeem, who is a top 10 ranked heavyweight. Somebody's going to watch this and think, oh, this is a good test for him, not realizing that the guy he's fighting is literally set up to be knocked out by him. He gets this knockout. Now they can catapult him to one of the high-up guys and create a new hype fight. I think the UFC knows what they're doing when they do this. Why would they waste an upcoming star on a fading guy who probably has a year left in the league? I think they're setting this up strategically to try to make themselves another star. Um, I love the odds, too. <clears throat> it's pretty much a toss-up. It's pretty much a pick -em. I mean, depending on the book, it might move from 1 to minus 105, but essentially you're getting a, a straight-up. And I'm 10 units for... I think I have like 950 return. I, do, I just love that, like I said, the way the UFC sets these fights up, the way this guy punches, it's just set up, in my opinion, for an a, a easy knockout, if not a first round, sometime in the second round. Yeah, I, 
Like, like I said, I'm not going to argue anything with the combat sports, really, with you. I just I don't have the knowledge. I will say one thing, um, and you said, and make fun of you for watching kickboxing highlights. Um, I'm not going to make fun of you for watching kickboxing highlights if you win this bet. Uh, because, you know, then you're making, like, an analysis, an investment. You're, like, watching the market. figure. But if you lose this bet, Jared, that means you watch kickboxing highlights only to lose money on it. So that is when I will think I will make fun of you for it. So just I'm a heads up. You, he, he could end up losing, but this guy's <laughs> the way he throws his hands. He's got a mean left hand. I, uh, well, like, anything can happen. Maybe he gets caught by a monster shot, but I, I think he's going to pretty easily walk through over him and knock him out. Hopefully he does so we can get all of our viewers watching kickboxing highlights. You know, really take YouTube by storm with our kickboxing highlights. We're going to be pushing on everybody. All right, well, enough of this. We're here, Jared, on Championship Saturday with some of the biggest games in college football. And we're getting towards the end of the NFL season. Let's start talking some football. That's our pride and joy here on the show here at at odds, at, at odds. That's a funny way to say it. But I'm going to kick it off here. I'm going to take it straight, and I'm going to take Georgia plus seven on a parlay with the over of 57. Now, like I said, the past few weeks, I've been hot, hot, hot on these. I only bet five units on this because the return, I think, is great, 13.64. Um, I try to aim uh, when I'm doing one of these for like right around a 15-unit return, and usually I have to put around six to seven to eight dollars to get that return. In this case, I'm only putting five units down for a 13.64 return, almost a three times the money. And I love this bet. I made this uh, without thinking as much into it as I am now. And the more I look into it, the more I love it. So let's take a look at Georgia through the through the uh, year so far and in Kirby Smart's tenure. So Kirby Smart came over, started in 2016. I don't like to ever judge a coach based on their first year. As I was just saying earlier in our in my little rant, first year, whatever, up in the air. But you got to show improvement. So his second year, Kirby Smart lost one game the entire season. And this was playing good teams as well. The only team he didn't play notably was Alabama. But he beat Notre Dame. He beat Mississippi State, who was ranked. He only lost to Auburn. Um, but beat then Auburn in the return game and then beat Oklahoma and then lost to Alabama in the playoffs by only three points in overtime. If you remember, um, I believe that was the national championship game. So in that track record, 2017, his first real year, you know, after his layover year, he was outstanding against all competition except for two ranked teams. Alabama only lost to three, lost to Auburn, but then beat Auburn later in this season. Um, I think it was in the SEC championship game. His next year, this was last year now. Two lot, three losses, I'm sorry. Only one of them was by more than a touchdown. Remember, that's what we're calling for is a touchdown spread. And that was to LSU, which they're playing this week, but then they played Alabama, lost by a touchdown. They played a ranked Texas team, lost by a touchdown. So this Kirby Smart team plays close games against outstanding teams or they beat them. Now, let's look at this year. They've lost one game this year, a freak game to Southern uh, or South Carolina. If you remember, missed field goals. Both teams wanted to lose it. They only lost by three. They've beat every other team. And it's it's like it, most of the games haven't even been that close. They've wiped the floor with tons of quality opponents. And then when you look at the LSU Tigers, their defense has kind of been abysmal. And their tough games they've played against their ranked opponents have almost all of them outside of one, been very, very mm -hmm. close. 
Texas is an underachiever this year. They only beat Texas by seven. That was at the beginning of the year. Florida, a good team. They did beat Florida by 14. I'll give them credit for that. But Auburn and Alabama, they won by three and by five. And that was with Alabama without Tua Tungaviola. So I'm looking at the schedule. LSU has been one of the best teams in the country, but every game they're letting up 20, 30 points when they're playing quality opponents. Georgia, a very quality opponent. Let's not forget what Georgia is playing for in this game. Everyone wants to bend over and bow down to Joe Burrow, LSU in that offense because he's going to win the Heisman. Georgia is the ranked number four team right now. They win this game over LSU. They're in the college football playoffs. The only team they can't seem to beat when it comes down to it is Alabama. Kirby Smart struggles against Alabama because of Nick Saban and how they coach similarly and how they recruit similarly. Everybody struggles against Nick Saban. Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide have already been taken care of. Kirby Smart doesn't have to worry about that. I will promise you, if you told Kirby Smart preseason, hey, you never have to worry about Alabama. You're going to be going to the SEC championship game, never have to play Alabama. All you have to do is win in that game to go to the playoffs. Kirby Smart is loving it. That's like his absolute dream scenario. That's like Michigan or Michigan State not having to play Ohio State to make it to the playoffs. That's insane, like almost unheard of. Kirby Smart's got that in front of him. I'm not even saying they're going to win this game. I'm saying keep it within a touchdown against a LSU defense that has been very, very shaky and letting up tons of points. That's why I like the over on it as well. I like this game as something like 35-31 or, you know, 38-35, something like that. I think LSU wins this game because Joe Burrow's an outstanding quarterback. But I would not be surprised if Georgia won in this game, let alone just to keep it within seven. I love this bet. I think this is one of my favorite ones this week. So I, I got to agree. I have actually the same game picked, and I won't comment too much because you said most of what I was going to say. But I think the key here is you got to look at Georgia as a team. Um, we know that LSU is good, but I think Georgia is kind of being underrated right now. They have one loss, and it was the most – Teams have a bad game. It happens. They lost to South Carolina. I'd be a little more worried if Georgia's loss were to a good team because then you'd argue, hey, maybe they can't keep up with these uh, top-end opponents. But they've kind of walked through some of the top teams. I wouldn't say walked through, but Notre Dame, they never really looked like they were worried about losing that game. Florida, a little close. They walked through them. Auburn, who just beat Alabama, they, again, didn't walk through them, but they controlled the game. South Carolina was a double overtime loss, so they missed multiple field goals in that game. If you, if they would have just hit their one field goal and not let that game go into overtime, right now they'd be an undefeated team, and we'd be sitting here talking about who's going to win a game that's maybe a pick them. You'd have two undefeated they SEC might, teams. They might even be the number one goal. team in the country at that time. Like They'd be number one or two probably. All because of a missed field goal. People have very short memories. Right now it looks up as a, oh, a loss to South Carolina, where had they won by a field goal? People wouldn't be looking at it. They'd say, oh, they got themselves out of a close one. And like I said, it'd probably be less than a three-point spread either way. It's the same exact team, though, and you're getting them at seven. I think the other key, like you said, is Georgia's got an elite defense. I mean, I'm looking at defensive rankings right now. Ten a simple points opponent, per game they're allowing. Ten points per game. Opponent yards per game. Number one, Clemson. Number two, Ohio State. Number three is Georgia. Georgia is a top three defense in the country. LSU has not faced anything like this. Now, again, I think this LSU offense is good enough where they're going to go put up 20 to 30 points on them. They're not going to get held to 10 like Georgia's holding other teams. But all Georgia has to do then 
to keep the spread close, just to put up 20 points of their own. When you have teams like Mississippi State putting up 30 on LSU, I mean, I think this ends up, I, I kind of like your correlated parlay, they call it, where you take the over as well. I, yeah. I mean, I I think Georgia has a chance to win this game. I, yeah, I, I almost prefer want to, to take Georgia the money line parlay. Just to be safe, but yeah, I mean, I think this is almost a, it's a game to trap the people that don't pay close attention and think LSU is a monster and they usually go back to seven. It was even seven and a half at one point. So that means uh, a little bit of money's been coming in on the uh, Georgia side to bring it down to seven. I, I think it opened at seven and a half or even eight. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable. Again, it's a, it's a championship game. Both teams are going to be there. They're going to be ready to go. Georgia's got offensive weapons. Fromm hasn't looked amazing, but against a defense like LSU that's letting anybody score, DeAndre Swift, they can easily rely on him to do something even if it's not blow the game open, they're going to score enough to keep this game close. You always have the chance to have a backdoor cover. Say LSU does get up by 10, Georgia drives down and picks a field goal to keep it within one possession. I'm, I'm not even too worried about this one. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's, I think it's a pretty solid one. Yep. What was your bet on it? Uh, I have 10 units for it's about 890, depending on if you're getting it at minus 110 or 15 or where it's at. Cool. So I've got, as my next college football game, we continue on this uh, championship slate here on Saturday. Um, I'm going to the Big 12. And I took last week in an Oklahoma parlay, the similar. I think you called it a correlation parlay. I like that when you take one team and you take the over-under on it. This time I'm not doing that. I'm just taking Oklahoma because I'm a little unsure about the Baylor defense. They look good. But look. Jalen Hurts has played very well for the Oklahoma Sooners. They have one loss through the whole season. They played Baylor very recently in a very tough game, 34-31. And you're looking at it and you're saying, why is this spread eight and a half? That's insane. If you remember, I'm pretty sure Oklahoma is down something like 28-3. If you remember that score very well from the Patriots-Atlanta Falcons game when the Patriots came back to win. In Super Bowl 28 to 3, Oklahoma was down to the Baylor Bears 28 to 3 at halftime, and they came back and won 34 to 31. That means in the second half of that game, they won 31 to 3. That's because Lincoln Riley is one of the best, if not the best, offensive minded coach in not only college football, but the NFL as well. In all of football, Lincoln Riley is rivaling the best coach, even though he hasn't won a ton offensive-minded, I should say, coach. Let's take a look. Baylor has been outstanding because they've been able to generate a ton of pressure on three-man fronts. They've been blitzing three, dropping eight into coverage. Because of their elite defensive line, they're still able to generate pressure, unlike the Lions, who when they blitz three gives quarterbacks 10, 12 seconds to throw the ball. That's why Baylor's been so good. They've been able to drop eight into coverage and still generate quarterback pressure. That's what they were doing the whole first half against the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, Lincoln Riley went into the, into the locker room, went to the drawing board like the offensive genius that he is, and like any NFL team should be paying him 8 to $10 million per year for the next eight years, if not more because of what John Gruden just got paid. He made an adjustment that turned into a power run offense, and they ran the ball down the Baylor Bears' throat with Jalen Hurts and with their uh, uh, elite running backs and elite running game. Also, guys... Like you said, Jared, people don't want to look into the finite details of the last game. C.D. Lamb, maybe one of the best receivers in the country, didn't play when they played the Baylor Bears. 
they got off to a bad start. Oklahoma did. I absolutely love them to cover eight and a half here. I think this could be a game where Oklahoma just straight up runs away with it. Remember, Oklahoma is also playing for their playoff lives with the Utah Utes. Pour one out for the homies. The Utah Utes losing to the uh, Oregon Ducks last night. Open the door. The winner of this game is most likely going to be in the playoffs because LSU is going to either beat Georgia to push them out or Georgia is going to beat LSU, maybe to push them out, maybe not, depending on how well LSU plays. So if Oklahoma rolls Baylor in a game of 40 to 14 or 40 to 21, which I think it could easily get there because of how the adjustments that were made by the Oklahoma Sooners in the second half of the last week. I really think they can get there. I really think they're going to take it to them to try to make a statement. And I think that the Oklahoma Sooners are going to find a way to make them, to get themselves back into the playoffs this year, as they always seem to do around this time of year. So give me Oklahoma to cover eight and a half just because Baylor was exposed in the second half of the last time they played them. Bottom line, they have a chance to get in. I think they'll capitalize on it. I actually originally had this game in there and took it out. I like them all the way up to 10. I think, kind of like we said, you got to look at the finer details. The Baylor Bears, from a little bit of a different team makeup, but just a, a game win loss kind of uh, recording, almost reminding me of Michigan State in 20, was it 15, when yeah. we had a really good team, but we barely sure. won every single game. If you look at, I'm not going to go through every game, but they barely beat Rice at the start of the year. They barely beat Iowa State. They barely beat Texas Tech. They needed two overtimes. They barely beat West Virginia. They needed three overtimes to beat TCU. They went on to lose to Oklahoma. They're like a weird bounce away from being a four or five loss team right now. And if that were the case, Oklahoma would be sitting with a 17 point spread, if not more than that. I just yeah. think they're, they're kind of like Michigan State. They found ways to win games, which works when you're playing lesser opponents. But a lot of those years where Michigan State was good, you would see them, they'd find ways to win games, and then they'd get to their boogeyman, Ohio State, who was actually a truly good team, and they would just run them out of the building. Or, or the one year they did actually the beat. Yeah, they did actually get through Oklahoma or Ohio State because it was a crappy wane and all this weather, and then they got just whooped by Alabama. I think that's kind of what's happening here. The other thing, too, you got to think about, these teams have already played, and it wasn't that long ago. And Baylor got a quick jump. A lot of people talk about teams have scripted plays at the start of the game because you can you know what's happening in the beginning. You can plan something out. They caught Baylor off, or the Oklahoma off guard. But as soon as the game kind of settled in, Oklahoma took that game over. They were just playing down, like you said, 28-3. to I expect kind of a continuation. What that tells me is once the game settled in, Baylor could not respond to what was going on. Oklahoma could. I think that's just going to continue into this game. Oklahoma has them figured out, and they're going to continue. It's up to Baylor now to make adjustments to try to get back on Oklahoma. I just trust a more experienced, better coach, more talented team, especially in this one. I like them all the way up to 10 points, like I said. Yeah, I don't think I said what my bet was, but that was 10 units for a return of 952. I'm, I'm pretty confident, and I like that one a lot. So, uh, moving over to the NFL, I'm going to go with, some people might call it a Vegas trap. If anything, I think the line should be more. Um, with the Kansas City Chiefs' money line against the Patriots here, um, I think the Chiefs are being slept on a little bit. You have to remember, they did play without Mahomes for a couple games. They... I don't remember. I think they ended up winning one of those games still, though. But I don't think New, I, I think New England is good, but I don't think they're as good as people think they are. I forgot to mention, I think the Chiefs are about a plus 140 right now. It is in New England, so that's probably the reason New England is the favorite. But if you look at New England, like we've talked about, they're beating bad teams, and they're losing to good teams. We say this a lot. Um, 
I mean, the only good teams I would, but I'd call a actually good team that they've played this year. Baltimore, they got whooped. Uh, and then Houston, they just lost to. Dallas, they barely beat. Philadelphia, they barely beat. I mean, they're, they're just beating up on the Washingtons, the New York Jets, the Miamis, the Pittsburgh in that first game. That's the one fluke game. Cleveland. Anytime they've played a good team, they've lost those games. I think the easiest way to tell that this Patriots team is not as good as people think is you look at Tom Brady. He knows that team probably better than anybody in the world except maybe Belichick. He has not looked happy all year, and he has two losses. Now, Tom Brady's never been a showboater who's going to go around uh, bragging about his wins, but he looks frustrated. Not like he's trying to be the professional, we got to keep winning. Like You can tell he knows something is wrong with this team, and they're getting exposed by good teams. I I think this game should be closer to a pick and getting Kansas City at plus 140. The other thing you have to think about is Belichick is the master of scheming players out. But the, who's the guy they're going to try to scheme out of this game is Tyreek Hill. You, you can't scheme a guy out that you literally cannot keep up with. It's different when it's somebody – I mean, they struggle to do it with DeAndre Hopkins, but it's, it's easier to do with somebody like that who just wins by being bigger and stronger. You can kind of scheme your defense around them to make them not get as open and make them literally go up and get the ball. You can't stop a guy who's just way faster than anybody you have on your team. Even if they do kind of scheme him out, he's going to be drawing the defense around and opening up the other guys like Travis Kelsey underneath. Um, I could see them running the ball on that. I just, I don't know. I just, again, like you said, it's kind of that, that Vegas hunch where why is New England favored? They probably shouldn't be. But sometimes Vegas is wrong, you got to remember. And I think they like to take advantage of people that look at a team's record, and that's what they call it. They see the Patriots are 10 and 2, and oh, it's the New England Patriots. They're going to win. I, I like Mahomes to kind of roll in this one, get that revenge game from uh, the AFC Championship last year, and move on. I feel pretty comfortable with it also. 10 units for 14, I believe the return was. Yeah, that's a good that's a good return. I like that. I was I was actually looking at putting that into my parlay that I'm gonna talk about later. Um, but I don't know. It's just a little something scary betting against New England's it it seems almost stupid because of how off they've been this year for people to this far in the season still be scared to bet against them. But I think there's something to it. Belichick is an outstanding coach. And like you said, it's impossible to take Tyreek Hill out of the game. You're right. But Stephon Gilmore has been taking players out of the game. He held Amari Cooper to zero catches for zero yards. DeAndre Hopkins had a decent game against him. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins, or sorry, DeAndre Hopkins had a decent game against the Patriots. But against Stephon Gilmore, I think he only had like three catches for 30 yards. And that is one of, if not the best receivers in the league. So you're right. Tyreek Hill, you can't really take out of the game. But you can lessen his impact. Like if he has something like five or six catches for 80 yards instead of that 60, 70 yard touchdown in there, um, that's the big thing with Tyreek. If you can just force him to be like any other receiver, that's essentially taking him out of the game. If he doesn't have that 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown or 40, 50 yard play, you know, that's essentially taking Tyreek Hill out of the game, even though not really. But I do like the value. I think the Chiefs, to get the Chiefs as an underdog with Patrick Mahomes, I think that's no matter what, you're going to be taking good value on that. Especially but, a plus 140-something underdog. It's not like it's a plus 110. Plus 110 or 15, exactly. But I'll, I'll keep it in the NFL here. We're going to finish up in the NFL for our next few. But I'm going to take it. Uh, the Houston Texans have been one of the most popular teams I've been you know, running with this season. I've been wrong, I think, only once on them. So I've been pretty good at predicting how they're going to play. And they're, I'm taking them to cover a nine-point spread, kind of a lot there, against the Denver Broncos. Um, they are at home, so there is that. And they're, uh, the Denver Broncos are abysmal on the road. They're actually pretty good at home. They're one in five 
on the road. They're four and eight in all. So they're actually three and three at home. Um, on the road, they're a terrible team. You know, Mile High Stadium is a tough place to play. So when they're on the road, they're a different play, a different team. Houston's actually been a good team at home, five and one, eight and four in total. So you're getting that little bit of an advantage. You got a bad road team playing a good home team, and more than that. Drew Locke is a rookie quarterback. He's going to be starting for them. He looked solid last week. I'll say he didn't look great. They beat the Chargers, who we know this year have been in absolute turmoil, finding creative ways to lose. But like I said, I think this is kind of a one-sided analysis. And when you look at what the Houston Texans have been doing and how they've been playing against good teams and the points they've been scoring, I don't think the Broncos are going to be able to keep up. Let's look at since, you know, Week five, really week, you know, they played well before that and they were putting up a lot of points, but week five is kind of where they really turned their season around. They were two and two coming to that point. They beat the uh, Falcons. They put up 53. They beat the Chiefs. They put up 31. They lost to the Colts, 23. They beat the Oakland Raiders, 27. 26 was their next game. They put up only seven against a hot Baltimore team, but then they won their next two, 20 and then 28 points against the best defense in the country or in the in the league, I should say, for the Patriots. So when you look back since week five, they've been scoring 24 plus points in every game, pretty much, except for, you know, one or two and one game. They were close to that 24. The other game, they just played Baltimore where they got washed by Lamar Jackson and they literally just weren't prepared for that game. So why do I say that? They have been putting up consistently 24, 25 points. I don't think the Denver Broncos are going to be able to keep up with that pace. I think this is going to be a game with Houston puts up, you know, something like 30, you know, 28. And the Denver Broncos are going to struggle to get to 14 or 16 points on this just because I don't trust Drew Locke. He, they won the game, but he passed for 134 yards last week. The week before that. Allen, Brandon Allen was their quarterback. He passed for 82 yards. And ready their leading rusher. Listen to their leading rushers for the past like six games. Lindsey, 58. Lindsey, 57. 67. 90. 59. 30. 70. So they've been not even running the ball well. They haven't been passing or running the ball well. They've just played solid defense. I think this Texans team's on a mission. This, I'm a little weary because it is a nine-point spread, kind of weird, but you get that under the 10-point mark still, um, and that's a touchdown field goal or even six points plus a field goal um, is a push. So I got 12 units on that for a turn of 11.43. I like this. I'm confident in it. Like I said, I've been pretty on the ticker, I think, about the the Texans, and I, I think they continue to roll in this one. So, yeah, I... <clears throat> Don't have a strong take on this game. If I had to go one way, I would definitely take the Texans. You have been pretty right on the Texans. I've tailed a few times. I've been happy I did. The Broncos are a team that just kind of scares me. They've, they've been a troubling team. They, they end stick up around. losing a lot of their games, but they stick around. They've, I don't know. There's a lot of games I've had them in a teaser, and I end up hitting the teaser, but I'm lucky I picked the teaser because maybe, like this case, they're a 10-point dog, and they end up making it a three-point game just because there, there, there just seems to be something about them. I do like, though, that Texans at home. I think that makes it a little harder for Denver to stick around. I'm, like I said, I would, I would lean Texans, but I'm staying away from this one. Yeah, that's fair. All right, you want to um, wrap us up? I think we've got two games left here. I'll wrap us up here with my uh, teaser. So, as I said, I'm staying away from those uh, five-game teasers and sticking to the three-game ones. So, what I have, uh, I'll do a quick rundown and then just I'll spend a minute or two on each game. But um, one strategy I'm going to try to take is I'm trying to stay away from those teams that are kind of a, a trap team, almost like 
what happened to me last week, like I said, I got Fitz Magic, a game that I've said all along, you never want to bet against Fitzpatrick because those lines are just always huge spreads, and he has those random games where he goes for 400 yards and five touchdowns. Well, that happened to me. So I'm going to stick to kind of more of a conservative approach. I have the first one, Kansas City plus 10 against New England. I don't even really need to talk about this. We already talked about that one. As long as they can keep it within 10, I think there's no issue there. New England has only blown out, I think, one team, and it was Steelers at the start of the year. Every other win has been relatively close, unless they're playing a truly garbage team. But against good teams, they're losing or keeping it close, even average team. Um, then I have the Cleveland Browns money line over the Bengals. And the reason I like this one, so it's a seven-point. I did a seven-point teaser. I don't know. The Browns are hard to trust, but I think this Bengals team – they don't want to win games. They want that overall number one pick. I know they're not supposed to actively tank. They did want to win eight games. You don't want to be an 0-16 team. They got that win off their chest. The pressure's off now. Now that they can just go out and play. I think Cleveland, they, do they still have a shot at the playoffs? I know they're 5-7. and seven. If they I were think, to win out, be 9 I think maybe seven. technically if the, if the things, if everything fell right. But yeah, I think they do. Because the AFC is I mean, a little bit of a jumble for the wild card. I don't think they're going to make it. I'm just saying I don't think they're giving up yet. They they were this hype team. They want they have something to prove. The seven points honestly scares me. I guess he's being a close one, but I, I think the Browns will find a way to edge this one out. Again, they're playing probably the worst team in the league that has nothing to play for at this point. All I have to do is have them win, and it's in Cleveland. I feel pretty comfortable with that. The last one scares me a little bit. When I've looked a little bit closer, though, I feel a little more comfortable. I actually have the uh, Baltimore – plus one because it's a six-point game at a seven-point teaser against the Bills. It scares me a little bit because it is in Buffalo. Um, the one thing that I like about this, though, is the Ravens, the way they play the game, I feel like that style of offense travels well. They're not relying on a QB to go out and throw perfect dime passes. They just, I mean, it's a very consistent style of play where it's just these option reads. You have one guy grind the ball and the next guy grind the, and it just breaks defenses down. Even if the Bills do have an elite defense, if you look at the Bills, real quickly, just run through their record, they aren't really beating anybody good. I know we've always talked about this, but the combined record, I was trying to add up. I didn't have time, but I know it's bad. The teams they beat are the Jets, the Giants, the Bengals. Titans are an okay team. Uh, Dolphins. Any team that beat Redskins is Dolphins, Broncos, Cowboys. Only the Cowboys and Titans are over 500 for teams they beat. Every other team they beat is under 500. And then the teams that they've played that are over 500 teams and lost to are the Patriots. I believe the Eagles are over – or the Eagles might even be under 500 now. And then the Browns they also lost to. I think this Bills team is pretty good, but they've been a beneficiary of a pretty easy schedule. The Ravens are going to be by far the best team they've played, and all I need is them to keep it within one for the Bills. So even if the Bills win by one, it'll push for the teaser. So I, I feel pretty comfortable on all of these, and it has decent return. It's about a plus 130 return, so I have 10 units down for about a 13 return. Again, just to run through it, it's, it's KC to keep it within 10 against New England and then Cleveland to beat the Bengals and Baltimore to beat the Bills, basically. Yeah, I like all those you know, reasonably, actually. That leads me kind of right into my parlay, and I'll start with the one that I disagree with. Not, you know, I don't disagree a ton with it, but... I've got my cash cow parlay here coming. It's my underdog. The dogs are barking for this one. And this is a big one. I've got the Bengals underdog at plus 265. 
Arizona, underdog at plus 110, and Oakland at an underdog at plus 135. All money lines to win. Ready for this? Three units to return 51. Just over 51.04. So this is my cash cow. This is where I'm going to hit big. I'm going to be bragging about it next week for about 15 minutes because this is going to be a nice one. Bengals, you're right. I'll, I won't spend much time on each because they're underdogs. They're all kind of long shots. I just love the value for all of them. The Bengals, you're right. They're tanking. Not a good team. They wanted to get that one win. But having said that, remember last week I said their one win was because Andy Dalton's coming back. I think they pulled Andy Dalton. Like, the Bengals can still win one, maybe even two more games and still have the first overall pick because there's other teams like the Miami Dolphins and the Jets who have been winning so they could still win a game or two and still be fighting for the number one overall pick. Plus 265. The Browns, you're right, are up and down. They've been playing better. They've got stuff left to play for, just if not the hype of their team and their head coach's job and all of their future jobs. But I don't think they're a great team. So I don't think the Bengals are a great team either. But I could easily see Cleveland pulling the Cleveland Browns game and, and just losing this game. I just like the plus 265 I'm getting with the Bengals. If it was you know, plus 180, I obviously wouldn't take it. The Arizona Cardinals is the next team on the slate. I've got them covering, or sorry, winning the money line, I should say, uh, at home against I sh- all of these games also um, are at home except for that Bengals game. The Bengals are going on the road to Cleveland. But the Arizona Cardinals are going to be at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are just are in my opinion, really an overrated team. I like how Mike Tomlin's got them playing. I like that they're a good team, but let's be real. They are not a playoff caliber team. And right now they're sitting at seven and five. They win this game. They're eight and five. If they win this game, they're looking at a, they could be staring a 10, possibly an even 11 win season in the face. That is not this Pittsburgh Steeler team. They are not this good. I think Arizona gets right. They've been playing a pretty crappy last you know, month or so of football, but they've been keeping games close. They have been playing quality teams, actually, though. They've been, they played their, in their last five games, the Rams, the 49ers twice, and New Orleans. So they played one of the toughest schedules really the past month. And even their easy game was the Buccaneers, who are a pretty up and down team. So I think Arizona plus 110. I really like this game just because I think it's Pittsburgh's calling card is their defense, and it's really tough to scheme for Kyler Murray. Um, unless you've got somebody on the other side of the ball that can just go put up points. My last one is the Oakland Raiders. I've lost a few times on Oakland bets, but I've also won a few big times on Oakland bets. A few reasons for this. Really, I just really like the way that the Raiders have been playing football. They're a ground and pound team. Also, same with the Tennessee Titans. I think that this is a toss-up, really, and I'm getting the Oakland Raiders, who are a 5-1 home team, an outstanding Home team, really. One of the better home teams in the league. I'm getting them at plus 135. My only question mark is Josh Jacobs has that broken shoulder, broken bone in his shoulder, but he's played through it. He is questionable coming into this game. Since they still have playoff aspirations, I'm assuming he's going to play. Tannehill has been a little scary, and they've been playing well under him. And in the past, you know, five, six, seven games since they benched Mariota. But I think Oakland gets it done here. I'm not super confident that any one of these teams are going to win. I mean, they're really all underdogs. It's a long shot. That's why I'm only putting three units on it, but three units to return 51. And I think you can make a re- a respectable case for each one of these teams to be winning these games and to get, uh, you know, a times, what is that? More than 10, almost times 20 on your money for all teams that are reasonable. They're all long shots, but I like them all. And I think 
this could be a hot one. You know, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a fun one to follow. Yeah, I mean, I can't be mad at the value. I wouldn't expect any of them to happen, but, you know. Yeah, all you in take all. Your value and get it. I, I do kind of like the Raiders, though. I, I think that's a game that's got some good potential. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't th- count too much on the others, but like you said, three units, you lose that. You don't even notice it, but the chance you do win it. It's going to be one of the biggest wins of the, of the session. Pull, so, yeah. yeah, so all in all, I mean, I'm uh, betting 37 units for a possible winning of 94. I wanted to go away a little bit of the risky. I've been consistently betting around 40, and my my uh, my pullback has been, you know, around mid-50s to low-60s. Um, this one's a little different. If you take out that one ridiculous parlay, though, it's the opposite. It's actually the most conservative week I've played on my bets outside of that one ridiculous parlay. So even though I am betting 37 with a potential of tripling my money into the nineties, uh, keep in mind 50 of that is from that one game. So if you take that out, I'm betting mid thirties to return mid forties, much more conservative actually than I've been in the past. What about you? What's your total bets? Kind of about what it's been 50 units out for 52 back. I've been pretty consistently going 10 units a game or 10 units a pick, unless it's a very strong confidence one. I got you. So our last one here, Jared, our head-to-head, I'll go through it real quick. I'll let you pick uh, your side first because I know we got the Oklahoma-Baylor game already starting, um, but we've got the Rams-Seattle primetime game. We, we we actually like to pick this one because it was a pick Neither of us are actually picking a spread for the first time here. We're picking teams straight up. Uh, I've, got the, <clears throat> I've got the Rams. You've got Seattle. You want to give a quick breakdown of that, and I'll give a quick breakdown of the Rams then? Yeah, I, I guess to me it really just comes down to I, I do think LA is starting to turn a corner. They've looked they did look a little bit better. I think the key is they're going to start it seems like feeding Gurley. I think that's been their issue this year, the last couple of years. But they've been really solid. They've been feeding Gurley like a machine. That team runs through Gurley when he's unstoppable. Teams either have to commit to stopping Gurley and the rest of the team's open, or they have to commit to letting Gurley go and stopping the rest of the team. They haven't been feeding Gurley, allowing making it a lot easier on opposing defenses. The only reason I like Seattle though. <clears throat> I think at this point in the season, we trust Seattle. We know who they are. We know they're a good team. We know they're going to show up. And I don't trust the Rams just yet. Now, if they show up, even if they don't beat the Seahawks, but to keep it close, I think I'm ready to trust them. But if you just look at, I don't know, their last four or five games, starting with the Bengals. So they beat the Bengals, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. They lost to the Steelers, who, as you just mentioned, they're a good team, but they're not a great team. They did beat the Bears, only 17-7, to though. Bears haven't looked great. They do look a little bit better now, but back then they weren't that great. They got whooped by the Ravens, which, again, the Ravens are a great team. And then they stomped the Cardinals, who have been kind of an off team lately. So I, I just at this point, I don't really trust the Rams, and I do trust Seattle, and that's where it's coming down to. I think the, the spread's pretty fair right around even. <clears throat> I think on a neutral field, you'd probably have Seattle favored by three or so. And I think that home field's kind of given a couple points to L.A. Yeah, I've climbed back into this head-to-head. I'm three and three. I'm looking to get my first breath of fresh air to get above that 500 mark to four and three. I like the Rams in this one because Seattle, great team, 10 and two, but I think they're getting a little too much credit. Now this is a pick so it's a little bit different because there's no spread we're playing with, but I do think Seattle's getting a little too much credit. Every single win they've had this season outside of one has been a one possession game. Isn't that kind of mind blowing for a team that's that good? You know what that means is they're not that good, in my opinion. They're a good team, but Russell Wilson is just winning games because he's 
consistently the best player on the field. At the end of the day, it's a close game. Russell Wilson gets the ball in his hand because he's the best player on the field. He wins them the game. Now, that could very well happen again in this game. That's why it's a pick em. But I think the Rams are, are good teams. I'm just basically betting that Russell Wilson isn't going to have another one of his games. Because, I mean, if you look at it, every game has been a one-possession game except for their loss to Baltimore when they lost by two touchdowns and their win against Arizona when they won by 17. Every single other game, you look down the slate, is three, two, five-point games. There are literally all one-possession games. That's because Russell Wilson gets the ball in the end and, and wins them the game. I just don't think that's going to happen this game. You're basically telling me they're going to continue winning one possession games. I mean, yeah, like I would, I would be all over this if there was like a spread, like a three point spread or three and a half point spread. I would be all over this. Um, I think the Rams are just being slept on as a team a little bit. I mean, they're seven and five. The reason why they're being slept on is because their division is insane with San Francisco and Seattle. This is a must win for the Rams if they want to make the playoffs. This is a must win for the Rams. This is not necessarily a must-win for Seattle. Obviously, it's a divisional game. You're gonna you're gonna get up for it regardless. But I just like the Rams in it because they're they're playing for their their season. Really, if they lose today or if they lose tomorrow, I should say they got to overcome the Vikings, who are eight and four in the wild card, and either whoever doesn't win the division between San Francisco and Seattle, and, and both of those teams are not gonna. If Seattle wins this game, they're not gonna be surpassed by the Rams at seven and six when they're eleven and two. So this is a must-win for the Rams. You- that's what I'm taking. I think you put it good with the uh, – if there was a spread, you'd be a little more confident. I don't have yeah. huge confidence in this game. Like I said, I think L.A. is turning it around. We just pick a, a fun head-to-head game to kind of challenge each other. But yeah, I like to be putting actual money on this one. I don't really have a strong strong say either way. Yeah, I like the uh, I like to pick them in that. That's always fun in the head-to-head. Well, Jared, that right. wraps up our, our championship Saturday. Um, I know I'm winning some money today. I hope our viewers are tailing us so they can win some money as well. Any last comments? Uh, let's go get this bread. All right, that's what I'm saying. I'm uh, I'm, I'm already streaming here or getting ready to stream the Oklahoma game. So cover that spread, Oklahoma, and uh, we'll we'll see you guys and listen to you guys, or hopefully not listen to you guys. You'll be listening to us next week. <laughs> All right, thank you, everybody. With a fatter wallet. See you guys. <laughs>